Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. This is my solemn vow to all of you. Today is my last live show. Now, if it's podcast, it's never quite live. It's recorded live, or as they used to say in the Olympics, plausibly live. But uh, today is the last live show, show recorded the day that it airs, that we will do for the next six days. We're pre-recorded on Friday and all of next week. I am on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, at least getting ready to head that way this weekend. And really excited about that. I'll tell you all about that. In fact, I'm going to shoot some video while I'm uh, on board. Have no fear. It won't be shirtless video. I'll make sure that I'm fully clothed. But uh, I want to give you a sense of the fun that I'm going to get a chance to have and also the fun we're all going to have coming up in April as you get a chance to go cruising with Dog Nation. So that's going to be an incredible time. But my solemn vow to you is this, is that I will not mail in today's show. My hope and my, my really my charge to myself is to work as hard today as I would any other day. And while I am already kind of thinking about vacation, kind of got one foot out the door uh, to certainly to certainly perform in the uh, professional manner in which hopefully you've become accustomed. I say as I laugh about myself because I'll, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. But the point is, hopefully we can do a good show for you today as we get ready to head on vacation. And I do truly believe that the next six shows, the show for Friday and all next week, our pre-recorded shows are going to be really fun too. So really excited about all of that. And then when I get back, It'll be basically time to start getting ready for spring practice. In fact, that's what we're going to do with some of the shows that we're doing over the course of the next few days is get you ready for that spring practice. So with all that said, let me kind of transition to this to kind of kick off the show. I'm going to be slightly self-serving for just a couple of seconds here and kind of pat myself on the back because there is something I've been talking about now for a while that has once again been demonstrated to be very true. And I don't think we should miss how true this is for a couple of reasons for how it played into what allowed Georgia to win the national championship this season and for what it could mean in some important areas around college football, specifically involving UGA for the very near future. In the immediate aftermath of Georgia winning the national championship, one of the things we said on the show was is that one of the things that, if you had to admit, probably make it a little bit sweeter for Kirby Smart is the fact that one of the things that he had been beaten over the head about for quite some time, his stubbornness, his resistance to change, that all of that was kind of proven to be a little bit of a foolish claim. That a lot of folks who kind of thought, oh, well, Kirby Smart stuck in some sort of bygone age when it comes to football, that, well, maybe in 2021, that just wasn't quite exactly as, as true as some might think. And for you know someone like Nick Saban, who was so proud of himself for his willingness to evolve, to be an old dog who proved capable of learning new tricks, as Nick Saban went around kind of strutting around and talking about just how much he was willing to change with the times, that what we said a number of times in the aftermath of the national championship is that maybe, just maybe, the sport hadn't quite changed as much as Nick Saban assumed that it had. I've played you this audio before, but I want to play it for you again. That This is kind of the take in question here. Nick Saban, for a number of years, has been just so happy with himself because he let go of so many of the things that he once thought were so important in football and now some of the things that Saban has recently said actually seem a little bit foolish let me let you hear it again for yourself and judge for yourself Nick Saban on the basic disregarding running the football playing defense things that for a long time in the sport have really mattered here's Saban on that topic the game is different now people score fast I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that. Because A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the last scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. And... No huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago. I, and well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So 
to me, and listen, begrudgingly, I'll admit, Nick Saban, the GOAT of coaches, right? The greatest I certainly I've ever seen, maybe the greatest of all time, even predating my time on this earth. You have to admit that Nick Saban is a, is a great coach. But here's the thing there as well. We are sports fans, and in sports, we have rivalries, and we have you know guys we make into villains, and there's no doubt that Saban's kind of been the arch nemesis of Georgia. So seeing Nick Saban unhappy kind of makes me a little bit unhappy. I don't know Saban. I don't know if he's a good guy or not. But in a sporting sense, I enjoy making a villain out of him. And it does make me happy to think that when Georgia was beating Alabama for the national championship, not only was Georgia winning, but it was winning in such a way that made Saban look like a fool. Because honestly, to have made this grand prediction of, oh, the world's changed, defense doesn't matter anymore, you're not going to win anything doing that. And to think that Georgia actually won using the, the, the manner and the mechanism that Saban would have preferred, to me, that just makes it that much sweeter. And I think if Kirby Smart were sitting here and we forced him to be honest, I think he'd probably admit that there as well, that that beating Saban using the brand of football that Saban once made famous probably made things seem a little sweeter uh, for Kirby Smart there as well. Saban thought the sport has, had changed, but maybe he was the one that changed. Maybe he just lost his edge. Maybe he just lost his ability to conjure up that physical brand of football. Maybe late in his career, the idea of outsourcing such a large portion of your program to somebody else, in this case, an offensive coordinator, maybe that just became attractive to him. And so he talked himself into that being a good idea when the actuality of the sport was that it maybe hadn't changed as, as much as uh, we kind of thought that it did. And I've told you about this before. And the reason why I'm kind of patting myself on the back today is, is we now have, have even more stats to back up just how true what I've been saying is and just how wrong what Nick Saban once said and said repeatedly around that same period a year or two ago, uh, just how wrong all of that was. Let me show you this from Dennis Dye at CBSSports.com. He's got a piece up right now. But the idea of defenses clawing back into the battle with offenses here this season, I would suggest based on the stats that Dodd shares, the defenses in 2021 did a lot more than claw back. This is what Dodd writes this morning, CBSSports.com, or sometime in the last 24 hours. Scoring, total offense, and rushing offense were at their lowest average in a decade in 2021. Scoring was down to 28.51 points per team, lowest since 2011. Average, uh, since in 2011, the average was 28.29. He says, according to NCAA statistics, he says the total offense dipped below 400 yards per game for the first time since teams averaged 392.4 yards per game in 2011. He says, similarly, rushing was down to 163.8 point yards per game, also the lowest in 10 years. So to look at this once again, total offense, rushing, uh, 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 scoring, all down to about as low as they've been in the last 10 years once again that's dennis died cbssports.com that nick saban had been going around saying ah the sports change you try to be focused on defense you're not gonna win anything kirby smart kind of stuck to his guns there on that and the sport kind of moved in his direction and uh being at the head of that curve when it comes to that trend i would say in a lot of ways that helps contribute to a national championship that all of a sudden the thing that had had defined kirby as a little bit stubborn resistant to change all of a sudden, now he gets to be Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. You know, not only did he win a national championship, he did it kind of with the way that we sort of assumed that Kirby Smart would probably favor. Now, listen, Georgia was also pretty good offensively this year there as well. It was complimentary football on both sides. We've never said only defense matters. We've just said both sides of the ball matter, that it's, 20, 20, it's 22 guys playing on the field on both sides of the ball, and everything counts. The Super Bowl was proof of that. The college football playoff was proof of that. You can't whittle this down to just scoring points and having quarterbacks and having wide receivers, that if you try to do that, you are making the sport simpler than it is. Now, let me also give you one quick other point on this, and then we're going to shift gears and talk about something else. So Smart's willingness to remain steadfast in light of everybody telling him he needed to change actually served him pretty well in this instance. I wonder if the same thing could also be true for a couple of other trends that seem to be emerging the sport. Right now, we're in kind of the name, image, likeness era, for instance. And we have talked in the show Based on some of the things that Smart has said in the past, I don't have time to play you these comments, but I've played them for you before. Most of you seem to agree that Smart's a little more hesitant to maybe fully embrace name, image, likeness than some other coaches are. And we've got all kinds of hysterical media types like, oh, if you don't go headfirst into all this, if you don't dive headfirst into all this, you ain't going to win anything. Well, Smart was also told he wasn't going to win anything if he didn't let go of defense and become a Big 12-style 7-on-7 football team. That turned out to be wrong. I wonder if Smart's potential hesitance to, to uh, hesitation to, to fully uh, embrace this trend will also eventually be rewarded as well no guarantee that it will 
But it is interesting that sticking to his guns has served him well before, and we'll see if sticking to his guns also potentially maybe serves him well in the future. With that said, let me shift gears to this because there was some interesting news yesterday related to some George assistant coaching salaries. It had been reported of the places that uh, Glenn Schumann and uh, Will Muschamp were set to make about 800 grand per year coming up for this upcoming season as what has been called a co-defensive coordinator situation. George, and you agreed about this at DogNation.com, released some more salary information yesterday. And, you know, kind of cool to see Trey Scott getting a big raise. Connor Riley wrote about that at DogNation.com. Uh, the continuity allowing him to stay and what that matters and what that might mean for UGA. But you also notice that Todd Munkin's getting a bit of a raise here too, up to $1.25 million. And you're left to wonder, is this, I think it's been reported of the place, that this is also a new contract for Munkin as well, that um, it, you're left to wonder, okay, well, does this mean that Todd Munkin is now staying at Georgia for the 2022 season? Because there had been some rumors that maybe that wasn't going to be the case in fact let me show you this on uh, twitter here uh this goes back to january bruce feldman from the athletic uh at the time told us that there were a couple of staff moves to keep an eye on at georgia todd munkin maybe returning the nfl and jamal adai moving on too now the adai thing turned out to be true you know that and it you know leads you to believe there was at least some credence to the idea that that munkin was interested in returning to the nfl but you know, listen, I don't follow the NFL coaching carousel quite as close as I follow the college coaching carousel, but you see, you know, head coaches are now in place. In some cases, you've got a lot of offensive minded guys who are now, you know, coaching, uh, you know, you know, as head coach, think about Josh McDowell, think about things like that. And other places where defensive guys were hired, you know, promoted defense coordinator in Houston, promoted defense coordinator in New Orleans. They are also retaining their previous offensive coordinator. You've got what looks like Liam Cohen leaving Kentucky to go become Rams offensive coordinator. Connor Riley was telling me before the show that Thomas Brown may be in the mix, actually become Vikings offensive coordinator, that you're actually kind of running out of spots where someone like Todd Munkin might be able to go. And I'm always hesitant to say that it's a done deal and it's completed, that Munkin's definitely coming back. But when you start kind of filling in these pieces together, you start to, to be of the belief, well, you know, if there was maybe an interest in going to the NFL, maybe those jobs have just kind of been filled up. There was a rumor, for instance, that Cohen, who could be going to the Rams, actually turned down the, the Saints job along the way towards doing that. Teams like the Saints and the Texans don't really have quarterbacks in play, so those offensive coordinator jobs are just a little bit attra- less attractive overall. But the point here is, is you start to think, oh, maybe this is actually the case, that, that Georgia is going to hold on to Todd Munkin for another year. And I was kind of looking at this a little bit before the show began today. When it comes to the very good teams in the SEC, there's just not always a lot of examples of this about keeping that same offensive guy in place for three years. Just doesn't doesn't happen a ton. Uh, you know, at Alabama, they did keep Lane Kiffin for three years, 2014, 2015, uh, 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 2016. Yeah, is that right? Uh, they did keep him in place for uh, three years. But then after that, you start talking about, you know, revolving door of, uh, of Brian Dable, of Mike Loxley, then to Steve Sarkeesian, you know, holding on to that offensive coordinator for a long period of time has just not turned out to be a, a very easy thing to do. But for a place like Georgia, who's already seen dramatic year over year improvement in two years under Todd Munkin, I mean, keep this in mind that Georgia averaged about a touchdown per game more this season than it did in Munkin's first season in 2020, and about 10 points per game more this season than it did in uh, the last season prior to, to Munkin being here in 2019. Now, that's already dramatic improvement. And now, for an offensive coordinator who's proven himself to be quite capable, the chance of Georgia now keeping him for a third year, really kind of an excessive level of continuity, the kind of thing that most good programs just really can't expect to see i think that kind of uh raises your curiosity and gets your imagination running wild about what the georgia offense may be able to do if he truly stays in the fold so he gets a raise given the way that comes along the same lines of nfl coaching's openings being filled would lead you to believe that maybe maybe todd munkin is going to stick around here at uga and if that is the case for the dogs that turns out to be a very good thing my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Merriweather and Tharp, and we are glad to have you with us today. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. It is such a great pleasure to be with you here today, and as I mentioned a moment ago, our final live show at least recorded live most of you consume it after the fact but live show recording uh today will be pre-recorded for tomorrow and all throughout next week across all the platforms radio included uh looking forward to enjoying a great vacation and looking forward to seeing you back again the monday after all of that the next six shows 
will be pre-recorded. We think they're really good ones, and so hopefully we'll make good use of your time on all of that. And of course, a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp. I love uh, my great friends there and the sponsorship opportunity they provide for us and the service they provide for so many of you, because let's face it, you know, divorce is one of those things that is just a reality in your life. And you know, it's it's a tough step to take because maybe you feel the the obvious pull in that direction. You know, the relationship that you're in is severed. You've tried to save it. It's just not working. It's just it's just not going to happen. But still, the anxiety that you feel about moving forward isn't made any easier simply because you know that the uh, relationship that you're in is no longer working. That's why taking that simple first step with Meriwether and Tharp is such an important thing to do, because when you go to their website, the Atlanta Divorce Team dot com, you know, you can kind of engage at this with them at your own pace they have blog posts they have uh they have podcasts they have things you can listen to and read that i think really educate you about some simple basics regarding the divorce process and how it could impact you when you think about finances and relationship with children all those kinds of things to get some basic information in place i think is really important and then after that maybe you are ready to take that next step of having an initial consultation with one of their attorneys allowing them to hear your story and sometimes it's just kind of nice to have somebody hear your story and then you know, go into the process of talking about what needs to happen next for you. So please find them on the line, online at the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. That's the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. We're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment here as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern insider update. I'm looking forward to doing that with him. Before we do that, quick version of Around the Doghouse here today. And one of the things we told you yesterday was, and I kind of mockingly scolded some of you for getting too into easy to spot fake news type rumors that like some of the things that just get thrown around here have all the trappings of being fake news uh, and it should be easy to spot and in some cases these things kind of end up getting legs of their own there was the interview done by a dude who lives in jacksonville on espn upstate in south carolina and he was talking about how it's down to alabama and texas for arch manning and we said before no disrespect to a radio station near clemson but if there's big news to be broken with arch manning it's not likely to be broken by a radio station in the upstate of south carolina it's just not likely to happen that that just kind of had all the markings of, of fake news come to find out we now have full validation of that there's a guy named steve wilfong who's a reporter for 24 7 sports who covers recruiting and he had a chance to talk to cooper manning who's the father of arch manning and obviously cooper manning does confirm in the story of steve wilfong that the notion that manning is down to just the two schools being texas and alabama that is not the case uh, uh cooper manning sets the record straight on that but in the story with steve wilfong he also tells us something else that's actually pretty important here or at least interesting here we'll see if this ends up truly being a thing that clemson you know we were told you the other day had recently been eliminated from the uh recruitment of arch manning this is actually fairly easy to predict we discussed this on sec country live going back maybe a year or so ago that ultimately clemson might not have staying power in the arch manning recruitment but two new schools have apparently emerged according to cooper arch's father as reported by steve wolfong at 24 7 sports brian kelly at lsu and uh, now Billy Napier in place there at Florida. Those new head coaching hires have gotten, at least for now, Florida and LSU into the mix for Arch Manning services. Does this stick around and become a thing? After it was reported not too long ago that that Manning was down to the four schools and those two weren't included, now the four turns into a six. This is obviously going to be a very closely watched recruitment. Manning is obviously not only a very good prospect, but he's got that famous last name. There's a lot of juice that comes with a recruitment like this. And so I guess the new twist and turn on this, as reported by Wolf Fong there, 24-7 Sports, is you can add Florida and LSU into the battle here. And if you're a UGA fan, I think it's fun to think about beating up on the Gators and Florida's insertion only to give Georgia another foe to kind of knock off it's a, if it's able to win with Arch Manning. That's kind of a fun thing to consider there a little bit. We'll make that around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. Before we're done, got some fun stuff coming up. Got a really cool look at a very strange photo of Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney. Uh, a couple of former Alabama quarterbacks are also in the news for a very odd reason. We will uh, touch on all that and uh, cover that. We'll get some golden shoes for you as we get ready to go out the door here on a final. It's kind of a getaway day. You've heard the notion of a getaway day in Major League Baseball. This is kind of our getaway day here, final show before we do some pre-recorded stuff for vacation. So we're very happy to have you with us. Also very happy to talk some Georgia football right now as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern insider update with the great former Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards here in the program. Let's go ahead and do that right now. From 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let me say hello to Terrence Edwards, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Of course, Marlowe's got a great thing going on right now, and I can't wait to tell you more about that coming up here in uh, just a uh, little bit. Great, great new promotion they've got going on at the tavern right there in your neighborhood. But Terrence, before we uh, get into anything like that, let me ask you about uh, Arch Manning. What do you think about him? I mean, here's the thing I'm always a little skeptical of, that you know, I mean, I've seen some of the film, and the best I can tell, he looks like a very good football player. But it's also like the famous last name, and everybody knows Peyton and Eli. They're all over TV all the time. And it's almost like one of those things that Manning's going to be hyped up, whether he's a good player or not. I believe that he probably is a very good player, but sometimes it's sort of hard to separate the name from the game here. What do you think of Arch as a player, knowing that we're about to enter into quite a hyped-up recruitment for him that it certainly seems like George is very much in the thick of? Uh, he's a very good player. Um, you know, I'm the two-sport guy. I play, if people don't know, the listeners don't know that. I play basketball at Georgia as well. So I'm, I'm very in favor of a, of a two-sport athlete. And I've watched the young man play basketball as well. And he's a very uh, good basketball player. So I'm, I'm all in favor of the two-sport athlete. And, you know, his football, you know, if his last name wasn't Manny, he still would be this type of player. He, he's very, very good. Um, do I like to just to uh, stick to one guy and just put all our eggs in one basket. I don't. Um, there's a lot of other talented quarterbacks out there as well that I believe that uh, the Georgia fans would be uh, happy with. Uh, but if we are able to get this guy, uh, other players will follow. And that's one thing of why schools want quarterbacks to commit early because they bring uh, other players along with them. Yeah, it's really tricky, isn't it, that – Okay, so clearly, if you have a chance to win the recruitment of Arch Manning, you want to do that. Georgia seems to be, you know, trying to do that right now. But I don't know anyone who says Georgia's definitely getting Arch. I don't know that anyone would say that because I think folks feel like Texas is very much in this, and there are rumors now that you know, like say Florida and LSU may be getting involved. But it's been kind of thought to be maybe a Georgia Texas battle, maybe now for a while. Maybe Alabama's involved, but but it's one of those things where you we don't know that anyone would say Georgia's definitely getting Arch. So as you said, you know, Terrence, it becomes this tricky situation of. Okay, well, you got to show him the proper love, but you also have to host other quarterbacks on visits. And I know that Georgia's got a couple of you know visits coming up, and there's obviously a lot of interest with like say uh, Dylan Rail in the twenty four class, or you know you think about an in state prospect like Dylan Lonegram for the class of twenty twenty three. It's like you can't fully ignore those other quarterbacks because nobody can say for sure who's getting Arch, and if you don't get him, now you got to turn over and try to get somebody else, or you know make sure you've kept enough pace with the 2024 guys there as well. It's very tricky how you handle this as a coach, giving Manning the attention he deserves, while also making sure you don't completely ignore the other options that are out there. Oh, most definitely. Uh, like you said, I haven't read or heard anyone say that we, we are the favorite uh, in his sweet space. I don't think anyone knows who his favorite is right now. He he has a top six, and when I read the story about who's down in two, I never believed that sure. uh, when I when I saw that myself. Uh, I think his recruitment is um, not even close to being finished. Uh, I think he has a long way to go, but I also feel like if we feel whoever our second quarterback on the board is, and if he really truly wants to come to Georgia, and we think he's a, a good player that can lead us to win, I don't see how you not take his commitment. Uh, but if, if I, I'm sure Kirby and, and, and company will have a, a beat on uh, what he's thinking. And uh, I like the young man, but I also don't want to just hitch my, hitch my wagon to him to say it's him or nothing. One more thing kind of on this topic. I want to shift gears to something else. You work with a lot of wide receivers. How much do the receivers that you work with, the ones that are you know sifting through college offers, how much are they paying attention to the quarterback derby on this? And how much do you think – that a quarterback, whether it be you know Arch Manning for the class of 2023 or like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields for the class of 2018 or kind of everything in between, how much are these wide receivers paying attention to where the quarterbacks are going in terms of what ends up being a good spot for them, knowing that the transfer portal spends now all the time and who's to say that the quarterback that you went to a school for is going to be there more than a year anyway? Uh, they talk about it. I mean, let's just, let's just take the last class with Gunnar Stockton, I think. Uh, with him going to Georgia uh, helped in the nylon. I think it helped with Oscar. So I think it helped with some of the other receivers as well, knowing that a lot of those guys played with him with 707, uh, just being around at, at, at camp. So when you have a receiver, uh, 
they they look and see what quarterback is in that class and what quarterback is being recruited. Yes, the, the transfer portal is there, but I, that is not talked about is that guy that's going to leave in one year or not. They just decided that this is going to be my quarterback of the future. I would love to play with him. So uh, it's talked about, and it, it helps to get a quarterback, like I said, early, committed early so other recruits can see what quarterback would be uh, his quarterback for the foreseeable future. And it also helps to get out and recruit for that, that said school. I uh, mentioned this before you joined us. I'm always hesitant to say anything is over and done, but when you look at the way in which the NFL coaching carousel is kind of spun here, it seems like we've got offensive coordinators in place in most in most spots. We've got, a, I guess, a couple of lingering situations, maybe Minnesota, maybe L.A., but those jobs may be on their way to being filled there as well. In other words, Todd Munkin, who gets a little bit of a raise here at UGA, does not for now appear to be on his way to the NFL, which means you may get a third year, probably will get a third year of Munkin at UGA. That's a level of continuity that a lot of successful programs don't get a chance to enjoy with their offensive coordinator. How valuable do you think that extra year of Munkin here, another year of a guy who's proven to be successful, how comfortable is that a situation for guys who play in this offense, knowing that, at least for now, it looks like Munkin's sticking around? I think it's the, the biggest uh, person that it helps out is Stetson Bennett. Mm-hmm. I think having uh, a quarterback coach and an offense coordinator that you've been with for three years now is uh, I think last year we talked about uh, Coach Munkin didn't wasn't able to do everything he would like to do offensively because I don't think they fully trust either quarterback. To be honest, JTR uh, steps and just because of the limited time that they have with COVID the first year. So now with Stetson being his third spring, uh, I think Coach Munkin can give him a lot of more uh, leeway to to get out of place, to check the plays, to maybe call some of his own plays that he sees. So the, the, the biggest person that benefits from this is Stetson Bennett. And, and once you have that that camaraderie with the quarterback and the offense coordinator, when they're locked self together, that only helps a guy like Stetson and out some of the younger quarterbacks. So it's, it's big that you're not learning a new playbook going into this spring and a guy who's already been there offensively. We're just going to enhance on what we've done and not learning a new playbook. The biggest person who has to learn the playbook right now is, is uh, B-Mac. Yeah. So he's going to have point. to learn what's going on. But the players is already understanding uh, what Coach Munkin wants to do. And one of the things like Alabama will tell you is, hey, you know, they've had an offensive system in place where like new coordinators have stepped in and basically adopted to the system as opposed to changing the offense every time they change the coordinator. And I, I kind of think about the same thing for Georgia here. Now that you've got Munkin, which you what appears to now be a third year, I, I mean things can still change, I guess, but it appears for now to be a third year coming up for Todd Munkin. All of a sudden, that gives Georgia the extra infrastructure, the extra extra framework to say, now we've also got our own you know, system in place. And so if Munkin wants to go to the NFL, I hope he gets a chance to do that at some point in time. But if he looks to move on after next year, all of a sudden you can slide somebody into an offense that's already working. You don't have to reinvent the thing from scratch because Georgia will have had three years worth of what you presume is going to be you know, successful offense to, to, to build off of. And all of a sudden, if you want to move a Buster Faulkner into that or if you want to promote a Brian McClendon or if you want to you know, do whatever you want to do, that you've got an offense in place that has that has worked. To me, that's also the value of another year for Munkin. If he leaves after next year, that's that's that much more institutional memory that you put in place by having him for this year. You're right. Right, so that that's the biggest thing that uh, you know that Alabama's had. They have a system, and they just slide guys in uh, left and right to just continue what they're doing, and then just put their own spin on what Alabama has done. I think uh, you know when you have a system in place, it, 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 it's much easier for everyone to be on the same page, and instead of changing each year a different system, a different learning, a different te- uh, terminology. Um, so I, I think this big just for the Georgia program to have that continuity with the same offense coordinator. And now we have a system and a brand. And our brand may be different than Alabama's or Ole, uh, Ole Miss or Ohio State, but this brand has worked throughout the years. And now with the third year in the system, we may be more down the field explosive team. Uh, you, you never know. I think he has a quarterback that he trusts, and now he can really open up the system even more. Uh, that he has in the past 
I want to ask you about another way in which the Georgia brand has kind of grown this week. We'll do that to close things out here in a moment. Before that, though, let me remind folks, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update, and there's a great event currently going on at your local Marlowe's Tavern, the one right there in your neighborhood. I'm talking about the Bayou and Bourbon event where there is some delicious new menu items that are only available for a limited time. I'm talking about the uh, chicken and shrimp gumbo, the delicious honey bourbon bread pudding, one of the great desserts that they feature from time to time during the year, including during the Bayou and Bourbon event right now, the deconstructed jambalaya, so many cool things there as well. You know, this is one of those things. Chef John Metz is just so good at this kind of stuff. Very creative guy, but also the kind of guy that takes flavors and tastes that people already love and find a way to put a new spin on those. And so with the Bayou and Bourbon events, kind of a celebration of the Big Easy, some uh, really fun stuff, uh, non-stop po'boy, all kinds of really cool things going on there at your local Marlowe's Tavern. In fact, check out marlowestavern.com to find the tavern in your neighborhood and find out all the great things that are going on and some of the cool craft cocktails, a part of that there as well. A classic uh, take on the uh, hurricane from our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. So many other great things going on there. Bayou and Bourbon event at Marlowe's Tavern right now. Make sure you uh, check that out. So, uh, Terrence, this is a player that came along at UGA after your time there uh but nonetheless i know you had to be happy to see matthew stafford get that super bowl ring obviously sony michelle leonard floyd you know kind of a part of that former staffers thomas brown nick jones they kind of get involved and that there too as a former dog who knows what it takes to make it in the nfl what did you think of the uh fact that uh, stafford and them kind of got over the hump and boy they've been living it up in the uh, time since then including a big celebration yesterday how much fun was that for you to see it was definitely fun. Uh, everyone kept asking me, you know, who am I picking for this Super Bowl? And uh, people know me. I, NFL is, is not my favorite. I'm a high school, college, being professional. But the only reason I picked the Rams because we had like five dogs on the team. So that's that's why I went with the Rams. And I'm happy to see uh, Matthew Stafford uh, get his just due being in Detroit for all those years. Uh, happy for Leonard Ford, a, a middle Georgia product. It's just, I'm happy for uh, Thomas Brown, Nick Jones. Just happy for all those guys. Sonny Michelle now with two rings and what four years. Yeah. So I'm just happy for all those guys, man. It's it's a dream come true, and I tell people all the time, it's it's never a problem. One of my good friends, uh, Tequil Spike, yep. uh, played 15 years in the NFL and never made a playoff. So it, it's very hard to get to, and I'm just congratulations to those guys. So, being able to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl because it's it's never a problem. Uh, so uh, congratulations to them. Live it up and uh, have fun with it. Oh, I think they're living it up. Did you see the videos of Stafford? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I think they're living it up pretty well, for sure. Uh, hey, Terrence, good stuff as always. Remind folks, you're doing a great job working with wide receivers. Get the bubble work going on right now. Tell folks how they can uh, get in touch with you if they want to catch the football better. Well, bubble work is full effect tonight from 6 to 7.30. You can find me on all social medias at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Good stuff, Terrence. Thanks for being here for Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. We'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. We lost our uh, sound there. Uh, let's see if we can get that figured out. I'm not hearing myself here right now. Um, now I'm hearing myself. There we go. Now, now, now we're getting that. All right, so uh, good stuff there from a uh, good stuff there from uh, Terrence Edwards. Uh, fun and also kind of a fun celebration, as we said. The, boy, the uh, the Rams players, Matthew Stafford included, having a very good time. Uh, Tom Brady obviously having some fun with him on all of that, and so it's great to see them enjoying that celebration. By the way, speaking of celebrations, I got one coming up for myself here this weekend. I'm getting ready to get on a Royal Caribbean cruise. In fact. Uh, it's I, I can't wait. I'm so excited about that. And for me, it ends up being a precursor to the great Dog Nation cruise we've got coming up after that. Your chance to cruise with Dog Nation coming up in April. We're leaving out of Port Canaveral, Independence of the Seas. Going to be visiting Nassau in the Bahamas. Going to be visiting Perfect Day Coco Cay. And as a precursor to all of that, I'm getting ready to do my own cruise with my wife. We have not had a getaway with just the two of us in quite some time. And boy, I am just ready for it. And Listen, you know, when I go to a cruise vacation like this, I like to relax my body, sit around the pool and things like that. But I also kind of like to relax my mind, which means I like to have fun things to focus on so that uh, I can, I don't know, just not think about the stuff that I normally think about, you know, during the, uh, you know, the the normal year. And that's where a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is so much fun there as well, because there's all kinds of fun things to do. There's onboard ship activities. There's the stuff at Perfect Day Coco Cay with the 
you know, the thrill side. We have like the water park, tallest water slide in North America, uh, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. And, you know, on board with the Ultimate Abyss, which is like a slide that goes like nine stories, you know, down from basically the top of the ship all the way to almost the uh, very bottom. There's ice skating going on. There's the Flow Rider, which is kind of like a wave, uh, 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 you know, uh, r- you know, kind of a surf type situation. There's the uh, there's the uh, zip lines. There's just so many fun things to be able to do while you're on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. And I just can't wait to do all that myself here coming up for the next week and can't wait to tell you more about it when I get back and then invite you all to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise, at least limited spots uh, for cruising with Dog Nation coming up in the uh, month of April. So if you go to dognation.com, you can find more about that. And of course, we appreciate our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority for helping us do that. If we're booking a Dog Nation cruise, if we're inviting folks to be with us on Royal Caribbean, we're going to use the Cruise and Vacation Authority to be able to do that for us because we know they know Royal Caribbean better than anybody else. So Cruise and Vacation Authority is our partner in all of this with our friends at Royal Caribbean. And if you go to dognation.com, you can find out a lot more about that today. All right, so let's do some uh, cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean right now. And let me talk about something serious just for a second. And some of you are aware, this has been a little bit of a hot button issue for me for a while that I don't think is getting enough attention. Let me show you this tweet from Brad Powers. Brad is typically like a gambling expert, so this is not normally his beat. And I don't know where he's getting his numbers on this, but I don't have any reason to think that he's lying here. So let's just assume on the basis of all this that it's true. He says, if you look at FBS total freshman signees from 2018 through 2022, you see a total of 2,953 in 2018, 2,947 in 2019, 2,835 in 2020, down to 2,518 in 2021. And for the 2022 class, that's down again to just 2,256 players signed scholarships. He said that's roughly 700 fewer kids out of high school getting an FBS scholarship this year compared to in 2019. And that to me, is a little bit of a crisis for the sport. And we understand how the transfer portal is impacting this. We see how many, even big programs, just signed far fewer players uh, in this cycle than we're used to having seen them in the past. And, and a lot of like the lower tier programs, you know, Group of Five, even the FCS, they're not really using high school as a mechanism for filling their roster with talent at all. For a lot of like middle to lower tier programs, it's all transfer portal right now. Am I question is and i don't mean to be overly serious here but I, I am curious about this does anybody care about this does anybody want to look more into this like what happens to those 700 kids the 700 kids that used to get a chance to play college football they're not playing college football now what happens to them now some of them may go on to play baseball or something else but how many of them don't go to college at all and what happens to them after that and it's one of those things where like normally this would seem to be the kind of human interest story that would get some people interested but my fear sometimes is is that it kind of gets ignored because it's not a very trendy topic. It's one of those things that seems to argue for the traditional way of doing business as opposed to what seems to be more in vogue now, which is that everything about college football needs to be changed because college football is some sort of tyrannical system. You know, when you think about all the folks who used to get to go to college that maybe now are not getting to, or at least some of them are not getting to because they're no longer offered a, scholars, a college scholarship, you know, kind of figuring out what happens to the players because of that and what are all the unintended consequences that have bubbled up because of the radical change that college football has undergone and college athletics in general have undergone over the course of the last couple of years? You have a hard time finding anybody who kind of has the platform to, to report on this. You have a hard time finding anybody who wants to say that any of this is anything but great. In some cases, I think they're afraid to because of the social media mob that may come after them. But I can promise you this. For a bunch of high school players, the new system isn't great because they're not a part of it, and they would have been before. And the coaches that coach those players are frustrated by it too. I hear from these coaches all the time. They talk about how challenging it is just to get scholarships for their players because, listen, on a show like this, we talk about a very small handful of recruits, guys who are going to have opportunities no matter what the system is. You know, The kinds of players that Georgia recruits are the elite of the elite of the elite. They're always going to have a spot. But far below that, the average college football player just wants a chance, and in previous years, getting that chance to play somewhere, getting a chance to get an education, that was just easier than it used to be. And this trend, I think, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And thus far, nobody seems to care. And I, I think that I think that should probably change. Let me move on to something a little bit more uh, entertaining, a little bit more enjoyable. <laughs> I think we have a little bit of an issue with some of the big name coaches in college football. They've got so much power now. And I, I mean this kiddingly, but they've got so much power now that there's nobody in their life to tell them when they're making a mistake. For instance, when Brian Kelly does like silly dances, it's almost like he doesn't have anybody in his life who says, Brian, BK, 
don't do these dances. You look, you look, you look ridiculous. You look, you look silly. It's almost like he doesn't have anybody to tell him that. So therefore, he goes out in these TikTok dances with these recruits, whatever, and you know, he look, looks pretty ridiculous. Even if he's even doing it to try to look ridiculous, still looks pretty ridiculous. Maybe the latest coach can have you know a, a little bit of a recruiting fail here. Maybe Clemson coach Dabo Swinney. Let me show you this uh, on the screen here for a moment. I don't know who this recruit is but Dabo Swinney is sitting in his lap as if the recruit himself was Santa Claus what's strange what's strange here is that Dabo is almost bigger <laughs> it's almost like Will Ferrell sitting in Bob Newhart's lap uh at the end of the movie Elf because Dabo is kind of like bigger than the kid is here or maybe it's a forced perspective thing because Dabo's closer to the camera but nonetheless uh, as CFB Live 247 puts on Twitter the Dabo's new recruiting strategy is apparently sitting on recruits lap like, this is not a good look. Now, we have kind of a dark background here, so it's a little bit difficult to tell, you know, exactly what's going on here. But Dabo in the black pants is sitting on the recruit's lap. Like, how is this How is this helping anything here? This is a very strange. This is an overly intimate picture, I would say. Uh, so kind of, a, kind of an odd look there for Dabo Swinney. He's getting roasted by for this, I would say, justifiably on Twitter. Uh, speaking of uh, head coaches who've been roasted in the past, certainly Derek Dooley, an example of that, going back to his time at Tennessee he obviously spent some time in the NFL recently with the Dallas Cowboys and now reports are he's going to become one of the army of staffers at the University of Alabama and listen anytime you have a chance to add this I think it's always a pretty good thing I mean it's one of those things where if you have the resources to spend big on a small advantage that's the kind of thing that helps you keep your edge over everybody else Georgia's got its analysts Alabama's got its and I do believe those off-field guys make a big difference I've told you before that the best programs are going to find a way to capitalize on areas in which there is no NCAA limitation. You can't do that with your on-field coaches. Everybody only gets 10, but there is no limit on how much you pay those guys. So if you reward them handsomely, as Georgia has just done with a few of its guys, you have a chance to keep them longer. There is no salary cap, so you exploit that. Uh, you know, you can only get 85 players, so everybody's trying to get the most they can out of their 85 but there aren't the similar limitation on your off-field staffers you can have as many guys as you want at least to the extent of your budget constraints and the best programs are going to have very good very capable football minds in one of those roles and you can laugh and say what you want about Derek Dooley's time as Tennessee head coach or anything else that may have happened to him during his career but the fact is when you've had that level of responsibility when you've had that kind of job it's a pretty valuable asset to have in the program and Nick Saban Always seems to have a lot of those guys kind of hanging around. A much stranger story involving Alabama, though, is this. So let me show you this. So this guy, and once again, I don't know who he is. I'm assuming he's some sort of reporter because he appears to have a lanyard on in his profile picture, and he's got the uh, infamous blue check. He says it seems like ages ago, and it's a collection of some Alabama quarterbacks, among them Blake Barnett and David Cornwell. And so this is a very simple, innocuous kind of, hey, remember this? I mean, people do this around Georgia all the time, you know, kind of blast from the past photos. How long ago is this in? Uh, you know, and it, frankly, when you think about everything that Alabama has done at quarterback, you know, going back in time and remembering a time in which you had, you know, guys like Cornwell and Barnett in the program as quarterbacks, that does kind of seem like a long time ago. I can say that. I'm not even an Alabama fan. But the eruption that occurred in the comments section of this tweet was unlike really any almost anything I've ever seen before because two of the quarterbacks pictured Barnett and Cornwell got into a very heated Twitter war with each other like one of the guys I forget which one was which a lot of this has been deleted now so it's kind of hard to go back and find but one of the two guys basically uh ripped the other one for not being very talented which led to Barnett ripping Cornwell for tearing up his dorm room basically trashing his dorm room uh cornwell ripped barnett for essentially turning state's evidence and <laughs> giving the ncaa a dossier of uh infractions by alabama as a way of trying to get immediate eligibility when he transferred i think it was arizona state that blake barnett transferred to that basically cornwell called him a rat essentially about some of the things that uh um he said about alabama and like this whole thing just turned into this like crazy war and like these alabama fans are just like sitting back and watching them fight very strange thing a lot of these tweets have been deleted by now but uh but it was a very odd to watch these two former alabama quarterbacks of very little acclaim getting to a pretty heated exchange on a uh, social media yesterday one more story to get to here so there are reports out there that florida speaking of off-field staffers has also reached into the miami ranks of off-field staffers their quality control analysts and brought in a guy named benedict i think it's hippolyte 
maybe how you say his name he's thought to be a good recruiter with you know ties to south florida there a couple of things here that come i find interesting about this on the one hand here you know this is an example of florida kind of doing something that they weren't really doing a lot of before i mean it's it's kind of weird that under dan mullen they just weren't really playing the game this way having fully filled out support staffs we talked a moment ago about how important that is uh for your recruiting efforts especially these are guys that can you know pay off and, and have some value for you and give you a little bit of geographic reach you know get in a car and drive from gainesville to miami that ain't as close as you think it is that's that's a that's a little bit of a haul and so having guys on your staff that have that good close connection to south florida is really pretty important and, and florida has been shut out a lot of these key south florida recruiting battles for quite some time so you know i mock billy napier we'll talk about him looking like sling blade and everything else but the truth is is he is trying to upgrade the the recruiting infrastructure that's been in place at a place like florida here's the other thing there as well like so help me i there are a lot of people who are trying to push the idea that oh Miami boy they got some swagger right now they're th- throwing all this nil money around and they're you know poaching assistants they came to Georgia and they took Jamal Adai or whatever else like it seems like they're also losing a lot of staffers right I mean they've had a horrible time hiring an offensive coordinator finally felt found Josh Gaddis because of the turmoil that was ongoing at Michigan because of the fact that Jim Harbaugh was briefly thought to be leaving and you know they just had guys you know leaving left and right brian mcclendon leaves and goes takes the georgia job and so it's like it's a little bit hard to establish the miami's back narrative when they keep losing staffers now this is just a, a support guy going from you know one school to the other this is not exactly like losing a coordinator or anything like that but this narrative that's being forced on us of oh mario cristobal he's coming to change things at miami well the fact is he didn't change all that much at oregon they really weren't all that successful to be honest with you at least not at the uh, national championship college football playoff era level and uh, you know down there at, at at miami the the results thus far are a little bit mixed about just how back miami actually is going to be and maybe this is an example of that and we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and we'll also get ready to wrap up our final live show here for a few days so looking forward to uh, doing some pre-recorded shows for you the next few days and looking forward to being back with you two mondays from now in kind of the normal format in our normal time so i'll be excited about doing that then Really appreciate you allowing us to take this vacation, be away for a while, recharge those batteries, get ready for a fun run through a lot of 2022 once we get back. And, of course, also some fun to close things out today. A couple of golden shoes here for right now. Let's enjoy the first one here for a moment. We always talk about the uh, you know, the idea of Eddie and our mascot, the blind squirrel. Aunt Collier also kind of doing his own version of the uh, golden shoe uh, Eddie blind squirrel mascot there thing. Uh, very, very well done very 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 uh well done artwork there as far as the uh, his own version of the golden shoe and the blind squirrel that's really pretty good stuff there by ant another golden shoe to give out there as well uh brian k westmore we talked yesterday about kind of bootleg georgia jerseys that's kind of a cottage industry on the internet he's got his own here it's the tyler simmons number 87 but instead of simmons name it just says on sides that's actually very very clever he says it's the best unofficial jersey ever and you won't get much of an argument from me that's very well done great job how about gator hater updater florida gators long drought for a national championship for them 4787 days and Gator Hater Countdown, Georgia back in Jacksonville, giving Billy Napier his first taste of an L in this series. We'll do it 254 days from right now. You have a great day, great day tomorrow, great day next week. I'll be back with you live two Mondays from now. A lot of pre-recorded shows in between now and then, though. It's Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, our final time to do this live with you before, or at least recorded live before, I'm gone for a few uh, vacation shows, so I know we hadn't done this in a couple days. I've been trying to get the next week together. It always takes a little bit of time, to be honest with you. So I wanted to uh, make sure we did some of that today. I had kind of gotten a little friendly jab from uh, Billy Ray about that, who said, um, this is uh, William Billy Ray on Twitter, who says, come on now, B.A., you're cutting us podcast listeners short again with no cool down. He says, vacation coming, I get it, but if we really were your first love, and I do say that all the time, uh, you'd be... Uh, taking good care of us when it comes to a podcast cool down so i wanted to make sure we at least got one of those in before we were done here and obviously certainly appreciate your comments on all of that in fact i want to read a few more of these to you there as well frank palumbo had written in the other day to say that cooper cup who obviously won the super bowl mvp for the rams third round pick from an fcs program and has possibly the greatest receiving season ever hopefully he puts some perspective on how special under the radar recruits truly can be biggest receiver names are not always the best it's about fit i think that's probably true I also think that, and here's what I'm basing this on, it'd be kind of an interesting research project to do, that 
there may be a chance that there are more hits for like lesser recruits and don't even count like the Cooper Cups who explode the NFL level. Let's just keep this to college for a moment because that's kind of the, the analogy that the commenter Frank is, is mentioning there. I think there are probably more examples, if I had to hypothesize, of success amongst lower recruits at the at the receiver position than maybe other positions. And what I'm basing this on is like a lot of those Big 12 offenses that have had great success, like they don't have any four-star recruits. Like going back to the days of when like – you know, Baylor was scoring a, a lot of points. I mean, every now and then, I think they had kind of a highly rated wide receiver recruit, but a lot of the receivers that had the most success in the old R. Browse offense, these were not four-star wide receivers. And same thing is kind of true for some of what, like Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham were the play callers at TCU. They were having a lot of success. Not necessarily a lot of highly recruited wide receivers enjoying that. Go back to like the Mike Leach era. Some of those guys at Texas Tech were not necessarily big-time receivers that, that – and if I really did the research on this, maybe I'd find out that it's not as true as I think that it is. But but it does seem like that the system has a way of promoting a receiver who, as Frank mentions, fits into that system, has a way of finding success. That's not necessarily always the case. Now, eventually, if you want to take this to Georgia, then clearly you want to have a better level of talent at the receiver position. Georgia's good. It's been upgraded. But to to take it to where it needs to go, you probably need more truly measurable talent than you have right now. However, the overall point of what the commenter is saying here is, listen, while you're waiting for that to get here, you don't just throw up your hands and say, oh, well, there's nothing we could do. No, college football shows you. Maybe some of the guys who succeed in the NFL, they kind of show you that it's really about taking what you have, using what you've got, and getting the most out of it possible. And oftentimes, great success comes as a part of that. I agree with Frank on that. Let's see what else is going on. Very kind words about the uh, Top Dogs book that continues to come in. I certainly appreciate that. Folks are reading that and enjoying that. JD Dog Walker also sharing some nice words about us. We're getting ready to go on a um, on a little bit of a cruise vacation here, which I'm very excited about. Just really looking forward to that. Uh, very excited about that the way around. Uh, Mark Morris also weighed in yesterday. I was trying to remember a famous person that was on on Hill Street Blues. He says. I might be thinking about Ed Marinero, former football player. He says, finished second in the 71 Heisman vote. He says, only an old guy like me would remember that. Now, listen, Mark, I very appreciate you sharing that. That's actually, a, you're right. I do now remember that. I would have forgotten that before, but uh, that is very good, and I appreciate that. Fantastic Six reached out to ask about Marlowe's Tavern. And, yeah, listen, I really do enjoy uh, the Bayou and Bourbon stuff they have going on right now. First of all, I like New Orleans-style food. Uh, I love I love Marlowe's spin on that. And anytime you get a chance to get a great Marlowe's cocktail, that's always a really fun thing there as well. So great comments. I really appreciate that today. Thanks for being here as a part of our uh, of our podcast. Cool down here today. Check out R.S. Andrews for your air conditioning, your heating, your plumbing, your electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. Uh, that means water heater. In many cases, they can replace it for you the same day. You just need to find them online at rsandrews.com. Hope you all have a great day. I will look forward to seeing you back here. Pre-recorded shows the next six days. Live again, at least for the uh, recorded same day of, coming up on Monday, February 28th. That's two Mondays from now. Really appreciate your support of our show and can't wait to talk to you again here very soon.